So if anyone's got any questions, covered a lot. Some of you might not have liked what I said. <laughs> That's fair enough. If anyone's got any questions you'd like to ask, please ask. If I can answer, I will. And if I can't, I won't. Anyone got any questions? Be careful, I might start talking again. <laughs> Thank you, Ajahn, for that Dhamma talk. You're uh, welcome. Uh, you talked about it's our fault, or it's my fault. I'm not beautiful, that's my fault. And I'm ugly, that's my fault. No, that's your opinion. <laughs> that's not your fault, that's your opinion. Uh, can you please let us know, is there any situation in life where I can say, it's not my fault? Well, you can't control the action of other people. Obviously, we see that. Like you, you couldn't control my actions today. You, you just watched me get up here. You, did, you didn't know what I was going to talk about, what I was going to say, and I just said what I said. Uh, some of it I wanted to say, some of it just came out. Uh, and you had no control over that, really. So I can't say that's your fault, but that's just the way that it happened. But what, what you make of it within yourself, so you, you start hating me because I said something, then that's that's... That's up to you. You might, because of what I said, if you didn't agree with what I said, you might, might not like me now. You might not have liked me before, I don't know, but you might not like me now. You might think that I'm not a good monk or I shouldn't have said that or you don't agree with my opinion or I'm seeing it the wrong way. That's fine, but that's, that's what you might make of that. Uh, but that's, that, but that's, that, then that would be for you to look at. You, might, you can give your opinion to me and I might change or I might not. Or, but then I can say, well, you might give me a hard time for it, for saying something that I said that you didn't agree with, you give me a hard time for it. And then I say, oh, he gives me, he's giving me a hard time. <laughs> I can say, well, he's wrong. <laughs> I can say, well, he's giving me a hard time because maybe the way that I said it uh, come over a bit hard or maybe I didn't fully explain what I meant to say. In other words, I can partially, anyway, take responsibility for for your misunderstanding. But I can't say it's my fault that you don't like me. You don't like me because our views clash, maybe. But maybe I can say, well, I, maybe I could have put it in a different way, uh, in, a, more, in a, a better explanation, a fuller explanation that might help you to see it more clearly. So in that way, I can take responsibility for what I say. But, but to say that it's my fault, uh, maybe is a bit too extreme. But to a certain extent, it would be because I hadn't put it in a good way. So it's, it's a way that where all the time as we live in the world, it's possible to disagree all the time. But what we make of that is what we create, the life that we create around us. So if we each take responsibility for our, in our relationships with others, take responsibility for the way we see people, 
what we hear in. Uh, it doesn't mean to say we've got to love everyone or like everyone. It doesn't mean to say that we've got to give in, give in to everyone and say what they do is okay. Uh, and it's my fault. You know, this guy's just about to beat me over the head with a frying pan and it's my fault. No, you can't say that. <laughs> you can't say that. But maybe what one said to that person before, one could reflect on that and say, maybe that wasn't very skillful what I said. Or maybe the way that I acted towards him yesterday when we had that argument, or what I said yesterday when we had that argument, maybe I could have been a little bit less harsh. And that way we, we begin to take responsibility, not for the other person's mood, not for the other person's anger, but, but for, for our, let's say, our part in that, that we played to create that. But that's all we can do, and yet, in the end, we have to let each person be who they are. But we can influence people, and this is what the Buddha points to. How we influence people is not by forcing them under pain or threat of some dire thing happening to them, if they don't listen to us, this is what goes on in the world, but simply by the way, in general, we treat people or we behave to people. That's why the Buddha taught this the development of the, of the four divine abidings, the development within ourself of loving kindness, the development within ourself of compassion, the development within ourself of sympathetic joy, the development within ourself of equanimity. When these are developed, then this is the way we respond to the world, whatever the, whoever the world is at any given moment in time. This is the way we, we respond to ourselves. We can hate ourselves. We can be nasty to ourselves. We can be pretty unpleasant to ourselves, actually. A lot of people are. Um, they think maybe they should be friendly to others, but they forget to be friendly to themselves. They've never bothered to develop compassion uh, or loving kindness towards themselves. So the Buddha, well, when we, when the, the Buddha, when he taught us to develop those four divine abidings, he always starts with themselves. You always start with yourself. That's what he teaches. Because unless you develop those within yourself, you'll never be able to give it to the other person. It's got to be there in you for the other person to get the benefit of it. Because when, it, when it's in you, that's the way you act towards the other person. So you're not asking other people to change. This is what the whole of the Buddha's teachings is about. We're not asking other people to change. We're changing ourselves. But when a person say acts badly, say towards me, swears at me, or is nasty to me, I don't say, "Well, that's my fault." But I might say, mm, "Got to develop some more loving kindness to me." I'm saying that to me, but so that I can receive that person's distorted way of seeing things or that person's anger, I can receive that without it affecting me personally. <clears throat> That's, so it's not a matter of blaming, but it is a matter of taking responsibility. Uh, well, once we had a, uh, I was talking to the guests the other day, I was saying, I was once, it was a couple of years, three or four years ago, we had a visitor. He was a, he was a Sri Lankan monk. Never heard of him before, and uh, I was over in the, the monks' vihara, and a couple of the monks said, "Oh, you, you're going to come and meet this 
monk that's coming, we've got a visitor coming today. They said his name, I forget who he was, I'd never heard of him before. And they said, he's, he's a loving kindness monk. He's a monk who's developed a lot of loving kindness. So I said, oh well, <laughs> better get over there. <laughs> I said, oh okay, I'll come over and meet him. So I went over there and uh, went over to where, where we was going to meet him. And there was a monk, a Sri Lankan monk standing there. When I looked at him, I thought, I think that's, I wonder if that's the guy. I don't think that's the guy. So I went over to him and I asked him, are you this monk? And he said, no, he said, no, I'm, I'm with him. He said, but he's just gone for a walk. So a couple of our monks are taking him round for a walk. They're taking him down to the, to the woods we've got over the road just to have a look at the kutis and that. So I said, okay, I'll wait till he comes back. So I waited with that guy, the other guy, who was just chatting a little bit. And then I saw, I saw these three people come in the gate, the main gate, and start to walk up the road towards me. And one was a Sri Lankan monk. And I watched him, looked at him, and I said, that's him. Just the way he was walking. Two of our monks were with one, monk, one of our monks on either side. They looked like they were escorting him. <laughs> they didn't have handcuffs on them. <laughs> and and he, he was in the middle with the other two. But the other two didn't look like he looked. And I watched him. And he just come walking up towards us. And I said, that's him. I watched him come up. And as he got towards me, he just smiled. And he just said, no. And this, this was the man that had developed loving kindness, metta. And you could see it, the way he walked, his whole way of being, the way he spoke. It was very, very pleasant to be near him, actually. Unfortunately, they had to go. They had his little look around and they had to go off to somewhere else. I was very sorry, actually. <coughs> to, 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 but it was just a dad, a, a few words, and then he got in the car and drove off. That was a very nice. I've never forgotten that. Now, we've had lots and lots of monks come here visiting. Sri Lankan monks, Thai monks, Western monks. And I, I can hardly remember hardly any of them. But I remember that guy. And I hardly spoke to him. And it was a very nice experience. Because he had developed it in himself. It wasn't what I got from him, really, or whatever. It's just that what he had. I never took anything from him. It's just that what he had was there for anyone because it was just there. And, that, and this, is, this is when the Buddha teaches. This is what he's saying, really. The teaching, we have to imbibe the teachings, practice with the teachings, and develop those teachings within ourselves. Then they work. You can't force other people. You should, you should, you should develop some more meta. You're not very compassionate, are you? <laughs> this is the way we usually think. <laughs> this is the way we usually think. We wait for the other person to do it, and then we, then we get the benefit. But no, what the Buddha's pointing to is just taking the, the teachings and taking the, the, the time to develop them within oneself. And that's what his teachings is all about, really. <coughs> it's, not a ma it's not a matter of just... Um, learning a set of principles and then believing that those principles are right and that everyone else who doesn't believe in, in those principles is wrong. It's a matter of learning the principles that he says and developing them 
within oneself, then your world changes. The world that monk lived in would be a very different world than a person that was full of hatred or full of impatience or full of criticism towards other people. They would live in entirely different worlds. They would be standing next to each other but live in different worlds. So the world, so like the Buddha, uh, he, he, it's just a matter really of, of imbibing the teachings and then practicing them so that they're there within ourselves. Then when, we, then when we relate to others, <coughs> uh, we see we don't have to uh, do anything in a, any special way. If we, if, we've got, if we develop loving kindness to a certain degree, that loving kindness will be there. We don't have to make it, make it manifest. It'll manifest itself. It's not a personal thing. It's loving kindness is loving kindness. It's not my loving kindness or your loving kindness or his loving kindness or the Buddha's loving kindness. It's just loving kindness. It's either there or it isn't. If it's not been developed, it won't be there. If it's been developed, it will be. So this is the practice for us to develop these things, not for any specific reason or any specific <coughs> time, but just to develop them. So the 41 abidings are just when we when we have those qualities in the in the in the heart and the mind whatever whatever you want to call it um, that's 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 the view that we get of the world it colours our view of the world so whether you're talking to Mr Putin or whether you're talking uh, to Mr Trump or <laughs> or anyone else if you have loving kindness the loving kindness is there. If, if you have to be a very bad, a really bad person not to feel it, but if you couldn't feel it, like that that monk that was here, I mean, if you couldn't see anything different in him, or you couldn't feel something from him as he approached, it means that you, you would have to be blocking that out somehow or other. Uh, it would be a pretty hard thing to do, I think. Thank you, Ajahn. So it's um, this was I said. Buddhism, it's very personal. We have to do it ourselves. It's easy to criticise others. It's easy to criticise others because they don't keep the precepts or you know, because they, they tell, you know, tell lies or because they, they do this or do that. But that's not the point. The point is, what do we do? What do we do? With our, with our mind, we create the world. No, no, not the world of trees and bricks, and roads and huts. We don't create that world, we create the world we live in. We create it. We all live in our own world and it's a world of our own creation. And it's our fault, my fault. <laughs> Yes. If you don't agree with what I'm saying, you're quite you're quite um, welcome to say so. <laughs> I, I don't mind an argument. Um, thank you for that um, talk. It was um, very nice to listen to that. Uh, I've got an observation, really. Um, I mean, my life, I've realised how much um, you know my thoughts and ideas and attitudes and decisions and and even my actions, have actually been influenced by 
other things from the past. And I've just kind of tagged along with that, blindly really. Um, but the interesting thing, at the time, I thought I was making decisions. It was me making that decision. I realize now, actually, it wasn't really at all. It was kind of just something I've been programmed to do, if that makes sense. Um, I do find that meditation actually does give the opportunity to actually see that and to kind of get off the bandwagon, as it were. But um, I don't know, interested in your comments on that. Yeah, Thank you. Meditation, well, meditation is done reasonably seriously, and if you put some effort into it and do it fairly you know, consistently, then it does. It, it breaks, it begins to break the old programming. Because usually with a, when program, when things happen to us in life, a person that doesn't have much calmness just reacts. We don't act in life, basically. We react. We react to situations. But when a person starts to do meditation and develop that, that ability for stillness, that stillness uh, is, we begin to, to use as we um, interact with life. We interact with life, that means the good and the bad, the, the unpleasant things and the good things. And if one can, can not react to everything, but be able to be still, even though maybe we don't like it, we don't agree with it, but, but the mind is able to be kept still, then you can see the reality of that. As long as we just react to things, then we, it's just the old programming. I don't like what he said, I don't like what she said, or whatever, this, whatever, I don't agree with what you're saying. That's the old programming. So therefore, it's just the same old disturbance. But when we can hear the same thing, but the mind just stays still. And we're mindful. Mindfulness means just being able to be aware of, say, what's being said or what's being done without a reaction to it, but just see the thing itself, leave it as it is, not, not giving a judgment to it. Right? But, then, but we see that with a still mind. Then we see the reality, begin to see the reality of it. When we respond or react to something straight away, we don't see the reality of life. We just see the usual reactions, or the usual values. We can't change the values unless we, we have a sense of stillness when a, when a thing happens, something happens. Uh, then we can see it. We may, we may see that it's good or we may see that it's not so good. When we've developed the four divine abidings, then we can approach it from that, if we wish to. Uh, but, but quite often, it's hard for us to know how to approach difficulties or, or life's experiences because of this habit of reacting to it. When someone says something, we react to it. Someone says, we're nice, we react. When someone says, we're horrid, we react. Well, that's your opinion. We react. While we react, we're not seeing the moment. Not being with the moment, we've just gone back into our, our own uh, way of seeing the old way of seeing things. This is not right. You're wrong. You're right. <laughs> Whatever it is. But when when the mind is still, when there's a, a this sense of meditation, this mindfulness, the stillness is there. Then we can hear a new. We can hear a different way. And uh, and then the old the old labels or the old value, doesn't apply in that moment. It doesn't apply. Because the stillness is just the stillness. We hear 
what is said, whether it's a compliment or, a, or a, an insult, we hear it in that moment, but we hear it anew. Instead of, instead of the old reaction coming in. Then we can evaluate it. Is it wrong? Is it right? Does it matter? You say I'm nice or you say I'm nasty, whatever. Doesn't alter my, my, my loving kindness. It doesn't alter my equanimity. That is what is important. Not whether I agree with you or don't agree with you. But is even if I d disagree with you, is the loving kindness still there? Is the equanimity still there? Is the compassion still there? But then it doesn't matter. Those things don't matter so much. But, but this is the usefulness of meditation. Without meditation, without some sort of meditation anyway, whether you call it meditation or something else, to a certain level, that, that, um, that space is not that easy to get because especially if the words are strong, they have a force behind them, then we, we can be immediately moved by that, by what, whatever the remark is. If it's an unpleasant one, obviously we get angry or we get afraid. If it's a pleasant one, okay, then that's nice. But, but then if they like, they can, they can manipulate you by that. But if one has a sense of stillness, whatever they say, whether they say something really nice and creamy, or whether they say it's not really something really horrible, it doesn't matter because it's heard in the stillness. It's evaluated in the stillness. Uh, and then whatever we have, we can offer forward. And, and that is the way that we begin to create our own world. We take responsibility for our, our own world. And then we can say, well, my world is my fault. So we don't depend upon others uh, behaving to us in a certain way for us, for us to be happy or contented or feel safe or whatever. <coughs> when, I, when I saw that monk, go back to that monk again who had the loving kindness, I just got the feeling that he didn't have any problems. I'm not saying he was enlightened, but he certainly had very strong metta. And uh, that means whoever he would be, be with or be near or come up against, that is, that is what would be, be his strength, would be his loving kindness. If he had wisdom as well, then that would be his strength. So the Buddha taught all the four divine abidings, plus the development of wisdom, understanding. Whatever has the nature to arise has the nature to cease. Yes. Yeah, just very curious, more practical maybe, uh, on how to develop love and kindness. Well, you can develop it um, meditatively. Uh, you can, if you get some, um, you can get teachings on, on how to do that, developing loving kindness first to yourself uh, and then to people that are, you know, close to you. Uh, and then to people that are sort of neutral, and then towards people that you don't like, you can do that in a meditate in a meditative way. That's a way of doing it. But the other one, the other way, remember the Buddha's teachings. The, one of the problems with Buddhism, one of the problems it has, is is that we tend to cut it up into into sort of segments: meditation, the precepts over here, wisdoms over here. But actually, it's life. It's life as life moves. 
So loving kindness to anyone that you're that you're uh, um, interacting with, relating to, you can bring loving kindness into that relationship that you have with that person. The way you speak, look at the way you speak. Observe the way you speak. Is it a kind way? Is there, is it a, loving kindness also means like it's got the thing about the four divine abidings that they're not narrow. They're not narrow qualities. They're quite broad qualities, actually. So there's a broad of a view that we can have with them. Loving kindness doesn't mean like just loving kindness. It just means friendliness, being friendly, being friendly to anyone. So even though you, you're, even if you're arguing with a person, maybe you don't like them, uh, you're arguing with them, but you can argue from a place of friendliness within yourself, not allowing aversion, resentment, ill will to join in, in, the, in the argument, but staying in a, a sense of a friend, I'm a friendly person, but I'm a friendly person who disagrees with you. So from my friendliness, we can have a, we can have a, uh, a conversation, a dispute. But we can bring friendliness, we can either bring friendliness into that dispute or we can bring aversion or resentment or ill will. Uh, but that's up to us. If we practice, we really want to, want to practice that, then we bring a sense of friendliness into the argument. We don't give in to them. We hold our argument. The Buddha never gave in to anyone. Sometimes people would come and uh, argue with him, uh, to discuss with him, and they would be quite... Um, quite aggressive. But he was never aggressive. He didn't get aggressive with people. He always come from a, a place of friendliness. He always said what he wanted to say. He was never persuaded by anyone. But he always said it in a way that did not cause aversion or resentment in the other person. So, so friendliness can be used, developed, any moment of any day with anyone. <laughs> Because it's in here that we do it. It doesn't depend on the person or the situation. But, to this, this, to, but the desire to develop it. So one can do it whenever, whenever wherever one is or whoever one's with. Just, just begin to act in a friendly way. If you see that you're acting in a friendly way, it means that it's putting you in a, maybe a weaker position or whatever, well, then you, then you can change your tack about it in, in the way that you relate to that person. But how you may, you may have to relate in a way that where you have to, to a certain extent, um, um, protect yourself. Don't leave, not leaving yourself open to be used or whatever. But you can still do that from a friendly, friendly sense. But, but this is where wisdom, this is why wisdom is really very, very important in Buddhism. Because when we practice uh, the four divine abidings, when we develop them, the way that we use them takes wisdom because people can be so different, can react in different ways. So how we, we react to one person may be different to how we react to another person. We all know this, this is just life, isn't it? But that takes a certain amount of wisdom to do that. So what's a, to develop metta, it can be done, as I say, meditatively using, uh, bringing up the idea of a person, like someone who's close to you, someone you love, uh, and then offering uh, metta to them or kindness to them, wishing them well, using thought, wishing them well, wishing them that they'd be happy, 
wishing that they'd be free from any form of suffering. You can do it to a neutral person and then a person that you don't, don't, that you don't like, you can do that. So that's one way of doing it. But the other way is in, is in ordinary life. Don't worry whether the person's good or bad, whether you like them or not. Just bring it up from yourself. Do it within yourself towards that person. And then you can judge yourself, you know, how you want to do that, how far you want to go with that, how far you want to show that person friendship. Because sometimes you have to be careful. You have to be wise. The Buddha, worked with, the Buddha interacted with people who didn't like him. They were jealous of him, actually. But he was always the same in his actions. He always showed wisdom. He always acted wisely. And uh, there was always metta was always there. Compassion was always there. But how that manifested depended upon the situation. It depended upon the person. This is why wisdom in Buddhism is very important. Meditation is important as well because it helps us to get that space. That space in that moment, a space where we can look and see the situation as it is. Wisdom always demands that we see the situation as it is, not from some sort of idealistic idea. If we just go around with idealistic ideas about loving kindness, then you can leave yourself open to manipulation or abuse or whatever. So we do have to be wise in that. But if we have the wisdom to do it, all of the all of the four divine abidings can be developed all the time in any situation. It depends. It depends upon oneself, not the situation. How we do it may depend upon the situation, but, but the fact of doing it depends upon oneself. Any any other questions? I think I might have something to say. <laughs> um, I think we're all sort of seeking a little bit of PLJ in life. And to me, that's like peace in your mind, love in your heart, and joy in your life. And I've had some bad experiences with family over the past six years, I suppose, or longer. Mainly to do with bereavement in the family. And since I've been coming here recently with friends, I've had an experience last week, which, um, with one of my sisters, who I've had a very volatile relationship with. And I've found that certain situations happened last week because it's coming up to the anniversary of my brother's passing. And we just seem to disagree all the time in situations and we hurt each other. But since I've been coming here, I'm a, I've learned that, uh, yes, I'm a novice to um, meditation and uh, mindfulness. But I've been trying to practice this for a while at home. 
and in my sister's company last week with her interactions and things she was saying, I kept saying to myself, Sharon, Sharon, don't react. Don't react to this. Don't react. And she stopped in certain situations. And I found a peace in myself because what you're, you're, what you're actually saying today has been very relevant to me. It's the situations that I have learned I'm reacting to. It's what is said, the spoken word, through habit, perhaps, you instantly react. But to take that step back and know that you love that person and will always love that person. And my fault that I have found through coming here and thinking about things is I've tried to change that person. I've come from a medical background, NHS background, and I've been so so indoctrinated and fixing people and fixing everything and I'm the fixer in the family, trying to change this, trying to change that. And I've suddenly learned, you know, Sharon, stop changing because you cannot change others. You have to find a way of living with them and they are what they are and you can never get that person to believe what you believe in situations, but you can accept it. And I think that's true what you said today. People will maybe learn from each other. And if they see, let my sister see me react in such a different way, I think it quite shocked her, really. And we've got a good relationship at the moment. She's contacted me a few times, we've been out. And I don't know, there's just something different. And I find that very, still come to sort of terms with that. But I think that is just through something I've learned here and through looking inward at myself. And I just want to say your talk today has helped me a lot. I'm thinking about things and thank you. Thank you. Is there a tendency to react to uh, <clears throat> to life's difficulties or pleasures or whatever uh, actually hides hides from us the reality of what's there because our own reactions uh, colours it and then we just see the colour that it is uh, that our reaction to it has, uh, has created. And when there's a still, when there can be a stillness, not a reaction. To any situation, you see the see the situation more as it is. But uh, uh, the way that we live is we tend to do that naturally. So we we need to sort of practice so that we begin to undo that. And this is what, what mindfulness. This, this 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 fact of mindfulness that the Buddha says. What, what the two factors that he said leads to to nibbana or leads to to, to liberation is concentration and mindfulness. My concentration is that which helps us to, to, to look, to keep focused on a situation. With concentration, it means that we practice uh, keeping our attention on one object. And then gradually we shift every other object out of the way until in the end all we've got is focused on the one object and then that's samadhi. The mindfulness doesn't necessarily do that. It doesn't need to get rid of all these other factors. The mindfulness, we leave the, the other factors there and we just see things as they are. So mindfulness, with mindfulness we can see whether a situation 
is useful, not useful, what, what it needs, what, it, what, what we can apply to it to, to create something useful or good in it or, or wholesome in it. But we don't necessarily have to get rid of, get rid of that situation itself. By seeing the situation with mindfulness, which is like a steady looking, uh, we see the reality of it, the situation itself. And then we can bring into that, that situation what we want to bring into it. So whether, whether it needs an act of, of a kindness, whether it needs an act of generosity, whether it needs an act of equanimity. Equanimity is a wonderful, um, is a wonderful um, quality. Equanimity means that we can, we are not, um, because we can't get our way in that situation, that we still are willing to allow the situation to be. We don't have to change that situation to make ourselves feel better. But we allow that situation uh, to be, if there's nothing else we can do. So for some situations, we can't change it for the better. We can't really, so that we just leave it as it is, uh, and then we just observe ourselves, whatever comes up within ourselves. We take responsibility then for, for ourselves as we act, uh, as we act within that situation as it is. Because we can't always change situations, it doesn't allow it. But the, our tendency, if we don't see a situation pro properly, is that we, we have aversion to it and we want to run away, or we resent it and we want to change it. But sometimes we can't do either, and we have to leave it as it is. But that's okay. It's okay not to be able to change a situation, because situations change themselves. Condition, a situation is just another condition. But it points out that all conditions are impermanent. They're not there forever. They change. The nature of conditions change. So any condition that we're in, any situation that we're in, it, it will change eventually. Sometimes we have to wait. But sometimes we, we can't, the desire within us is to change it, to get it how we want it to be. Sometimes we have to leave it and let it be like it is. And that's when we have to have this quality of equanimity. Equanimity means we're willing to let it be like it is. And then within ourselves, we bring up one, any of the four divine abidings, equanimity, or we can bring up loving kindness towards it or whatever it is. But the situation itself is okay. And eventually, it changes because no condition change, no condition stays. Every condition passes. Every condition changes. This is one of the wisdom aspects of the Buddha's teachings. Whatever it is, it'll change. Sometimes we have to wait. Sometimes we can change it, and sometimes we can't. Mindfulness is that which allows us to view a situation and know which, which situation we can change and which situation we can't change. And the situation we can't change, then we bring the divine abiding of equanimity to that. Patience. So the four divine abidings are good for us to develop along with the... the um, with the precepts, the precepts give us guidelines of how to live, how to behave, 
within ourselves and the divine, divine abidings show us how to live with others in relationship with others. He doesn't deny relationships. The Buddha doesn't deny relationships, but to have good relationships and fruitful relationships, we do have to develop uh, these qualities of, well, we don't have to, but we, we can develop the, the uh, qualities of loving kindness, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy. Sympathetic joy is a good one because each of those, each of those, those divine abidings overcome some defilement of the mind, defilement of the heart. Loving kindness overcomes enmity. Where there's loving kindness, there's no enmity. But we're speaking about ourselves. When, when we develop loving kindness, we develop it here, not there. It's developed here. So it, it overcomes enmity here, <coughs> not there, here. Uh, and when we de when we develop compassion, uh, compassion overcomes aversion, hatred, uh, a, a sense of wanting someone to be hurt, seeing someone hurt. Uh, we want to alleviate. We want to alleviate people's uh, um, painfulness, whether it's whether it's a uh, uh, physical pain or mental pain, we want to see that relieved. That's equi um, uh, compassion. So that we can't we can't ask another person to develop compassion, but we can develop ourselves. So when we see someone who's who's yeah, suffering in some way, then compassion uh, is that which wants us to try to alleviate that person's pain, whether we like them or whether we don't like them. Uh, is not is not so much what is important, but it's just the compassion itself, and the act of compassion itself, which is important. In Christianity, they have the what was that that story? Was it where those people helped that guy who was from another another race? Or what was it? The Samaritan, the Good Samaritan story. That's a wonderful story, actually, <laughs> where they, the the Samaritan. Was, was injured or something, laying on the floor. And, and it was an area where they, 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 they weren't Samaritans people. Uh, it was a different race of people. And they was all walk, everyone was walking by him, wouldn't, wouldn't touch him because he was from a different race. And the, and the good Samaritan went up and helped him, even though he was also from a different race. But he went up and helped him. Uh, didn't just leave him laying on the floor suffering because he saw him as a, as a human being, not as a Samaritan or this or that. So all of the, the divine abidings, uh, when we develop them within ourselves, then we can, that's when we, we can manifest them. And it doesn't matter who the other person is or what the situation is. What matters is just the manifestation of the divine abiding from within ourselves. So we develop it within ourselves and we act upon it within ourselves. Hello.
Well, you, you, you should, uh, <coughs> maybe you could get to know the Buddha's teachings at a deeper level. How, mu how much do you know the Buddha's teachings? Well, you, you, should, you should study the Buddha's teachings at a little bit le deeper level, and then you might begin to understand where he was coming from. The Buddha didn't live in a perfect world. And, and the, Buddha, the Buddha wasn't about saving animals. The Buddha was talking about human beings because human beings uh, have uh, the ability to have some sort of control over their lives and to guide their lives. Whereas animals live by instinct and they don't have that ability. But you, 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 should, you should try to get to understand the Buddha's teachings at a, a deeper level. Because it's a sort of never-ending argument. The Buddha, the Buddha, the Buddha allowed his, his monks to eat meat. Right? And his, his cousin, who tried to kill the Buddha himself once, and who tried twice to have the Buddha killed by someone else, he, he employed two sort of soldiers, who, who well, three actually, there were three soldiers, who tried to kill the Buddha themselves for him. Uh, he was the one that wanted also, although he said he, said he was the one that wanted to make the Buddha, the, the order, a vegetarian. This is what he said. He wanted to do that. And yet if he could have had his way, uh, he would have killed the Buddha. He would, he would happily have killed the Buddha because he didn't like the Buddha, actually. And, and he opposed him. So, you know, you, you don't really understand the Buddha's teachings and you don't understand the whole process of practice. You're, you're picking on one single thing and you're clinging to that. I don't have no, no problem about that, but that's what you're doing. You should try to understand Buddhism and the teachings a little bit deeper level, that's all. I don't, I don't have anything against your, your views and your opinions uh, at all. I don't have nothing against them at all. I'm quite happy to listen to them. But from, from like listening to you, you don't really understand Buddha's teachings very much. So I would just suggest maybe you could learn the teachings a bit deeper to understand a little bit more. Because I've, I, I, there's no... That you, you can't discuss with you because you, you are at a fixed point. Because when the, when the Buddha was asked to make, by his cousin, he was asked to make the, um, the order vegetarian, he refused. He said, if monks want to eat meat, that they are, they are allowed to. But we're not allowed to eat meat if it's 
if it's been killed specifically for us. If someone said, oh yes, I'll get the chicken. If you, you're going with your arms bowl in the morning, they say, oh, come back, come back later on in two hours' time and I'll kill the chicken in the garden and cook the chicken uh, and then I'll give it to you. Then you, you have to say, no, sorry, we're not allowed to do that. If it's killed specifically for us, we're not allowed to do it. But if it's meat that is hanging in the shop or it's, it's meat that maybe they killed the day before yesterday and it wasn't killed specifically for months, then if they wish to, they have the choice. They can do it. If they don't want to take it, they needn't. If, if they're vegetarian and they go to a house and someone wants to put meat in them, in, in their bowl, then they can say, well, I'm, I'm vegetarian, I don't receive meat. And that's fine. It's not a problem. The Buddha, says, the Buddha didn't say you have, to, you have to receive it or you have to eat it. He's given you a choice. There isn't, they aren't compatible in your mind. And I can see, I can see that. Um, and I can understand that. I don't have no problem with your view, actually, at all. I'm just talking about what, what's, uh, what, the, what, what the Buddha said. From my own point of view, I don't have any problems with your arguments, personally. But um, I understand where you're coming from. But um, that, that's not what the, the way that you're arguing is not the way that the Buddha taught. He said, if, you want, if a monk wants to eat meat, the animal, as long as the, the animal is dead, if it's just meat, and it's presented to him as meat, and it isn't killed spe specifically for him or her, if it's nuns are the same, um, then they're allowable to eat it. Some people think that we shouldn't even eat vegetables because they think vegetables are living beings. So it'd be hard to stay alive, wouldn't it, in the end? Because everything's got life, nearly everything. A loaf of bread, I suppose, doesn't have any life. <laughs> but... Um, other things like vegetables, beans, all these things, are, they all have life, they all grow, they're all picked and killed, they're killed when they're picked. So everything is, is, dies, isn't it, in the end? Everything grows, everything dies. That's just the way it is. You have to accept life as it is. This is what the Buddha did. He lived, he lived in a society that had meat. And uh, he allowed his monks to be fed by that society. His monks were members of that society. So if they were meat eaters, he allowed them to, to eat meat if they wished to. He doesn't force them to. If they don't want to, they don't need to. But, yeah, but they, he, he didn't allow them to eat meat if it was killed specifically for them. So if they went to the house and he said, OK, well, we'll get the chicken get the cow or get the, get the pig or whatever, cut its throat and cook it up a nice, make some pork sausages or something. You wouldn't allow to eat it. Because, because then, then uh, a living being would die, but you would be the cause of that, that being dying to a certain extent. Not that you would do it. But when the meat is, is just meat, the animal has already been killed, uh, and it's just meat, and you come there, it's just meat then he said, that's allowable, if you wish, that's allowable. The Buddha was very realistic. He lived, he lived in, the, in the, the world around him. 
I, I, it's, it's, an, it's an eternal question. <laughs> it's an eternal argument. And it, it'll, it'll always be and it'll always go on. So people have their different opinions. Yes. Last question. Ah. Yes, I think in, in the Mahayana, they, they uh, usually are <coughs> vegetarian. In the Mahayana Buddhism, the Chinese, Vietnamese, usually they, they are, <coughs> they are um, vegetarian. The, um, the Theravada is not vegetarian. So if you go to Burma, you go to Thailand, Sri Lanka, uh, the people will offer you meat. But if you don't want it, then you can just say, oh, I'm vegetarian and they won't, they won't offer it to you. They don't force it on you. Yes. Pardon? That's right. The later schools, the later schools, the Mahayana, which came later which, uh, and then broke up into different groups, they are basically uh, vegetarian. But I think, uh, let's say, the Tibetans, the Tibetans eat meat, I think, or some of them mm. do, and they are Mahayana yeah. as well, but they're, but they're also Tibetans. So. <laughs> okay, perhaps that's enough for today then. Uh, thank you, Bantu, for a very informative talk. Uh, before we leave that subject, I, I think that I would like to... Uh, to point out something which I think of quite often. Uh, before eating, I often think of the grace proposed by St. Francis of Assisi. And he said, we now thank Brother Bread for giving up his life that we may live. And I think that's a balanced view. Yes, it's, it's a way of, of um, bringing to mind what, what one's actions are, what one is doing. Actions that, that might be controversial to some, bringing them to mind and reminding ourselves nothing's perfect in this world as regards to the world. Food is just food, it keeps the body alive. And if the body is alive, then we can practice, keeps the mind healthy. We can practice, uh, perhaps uh, for some people, that, that, that meat eating is not, not the right way to go. And for some people, they, they say, well, it should be a choice. So these are all the disagreements and arguments. Everybody's right, and everybody's wrong. So, so that's the way it is. That's the way I see it anyway. <laughs> so perhaps that's enough for today. <laughs> Thank you for coming. There'll be another one next week. Not me, though. <laughs>